Together. This no, is Laura, what. You don't say together. But it says together on the thing. Yeah, but see the colon. You say what's after the colon. This Let's try it again. Okay. Just pretend that you can't see that. Tell Ready? Me. Okay. One, one, two, three. Colon. This is Laura. No, you don't say colon. Why like, did you? Why did you say a punctuation mark? You just skip. Just pretend you can't see any of that. Just to get like, just pretend it starts on the okay, word okay, this. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. This is Laura and Corey. Why aren't you talking? You told me to pretend I couldn't see anything. No, until we get to this. Okay, so I'm gonna say three, two, one. Then we start on this. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. Do you want to count off? No, I'm scared. Okay, three, two. One. This, this is, is Laura and Corey from, from the new hit show, Halliston. And Sci-Fi Saturday Night is balls. I think you mean tits. And Sci-Fi Saturday Night is tits. Good job. You're so smart. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now. And avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording. Yet another? Sure. You know, I've been saying that a lot lately. Okay, let me do it a different way tonight. And I don't know why, but because I feel like it. So tonight, it's another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, because I want to do it differently. It's the only podcast to guarantee it's a waste of electrons, and you get to hear stuff. This week, it's episode 491, closing in rapidly on episode 500. That magical number, it's a magic number. Uh, On on Sesame Street, three was a magic number. On Sci-Fi Saturday Night, 500 is the magic number. Uh, And unfortunately, um, thanks to the Delta variant, it's another pandemic countdown night uh, as... uh, the pandemic is again rearing its ugly head. So uh, quarantine evenings are becoming uh, once again uh, something to worry about. Cameron, we're setting back up the quarantine cage. Uh, I figured I'd let you know that the, uh, the, the, the hamster habitat is being put back together. And uh, you'll be going back in as of next week. I just wanted to let you know, quarantine is back, back, back in session here in Area 51. You'll be wearing the mask, and and the the hamster wheel will be going back into effect. Do I at least get those little tubes so that I could run between parts? You know, go all over the place. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, we're we're hooking we're hooking the tubes back in. Yeah, we're hooking the tubes back in and the little rotating wheel and the whole thing. Okay. And we'll we'll be putting the feeding tubes and the water tubes back in the whole thing. The whole thing. Uh, I am concerned, however, this week we did in fact get a shipment in 
of of those those stupid uh, those those stupid uh, uh, um, uh, 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 stupid Pez dispensers. Shit, is that what they were? Yes. Who the hell ordered fifty Pez dispensers, and why? Well, is it, you know, is it I, me? I just all right. I will. <laughs> I will. Yes, you know, you, you did. You also did help suggest that Jennifer, but a few other people that have previously been on the show have hinted that. Dome was a huge Golden Girls fan, so I was getting oh, a sh- set of Golden Girls. Pez no, they're all Estelle Getty's Pez dispensers. There are none of the other Golden Girls. They're all Estelle okay, Getty. Send it back. Dis- you ordered just Estelle Getty Pez dispensers, and gotta I don't- send it back. No, no, I ordered all four. I swear to you, I ordered fifty all four. Estelle Getty. Betty White, I insisted Betty White had to be in there. She isn't. There's not a Betty White among them. Did you order them from Wish.com? Like, if you order them from Wish.com, I think they just send you whatever, because it is a crime if there's no Betty Whites or Rue McClanahan or B. Arthur's. I know, I agree. B. Arthur. B. Arthur. And and all they do is crap. I'll get right on that after the show. (laughs) All right, fine. Take care of it. And so much for the tie-dyed miniature ponies. Those are all going back as well. But that's a whole other story. Tonight, it's Best Friends Night here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I just wanted to, to make that perfectly clear. And one of our bestest friends is here on, on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And it's our, it's our bestest, bestest friend, author, one of our bestest friend authors, uh, Jennifer Ancord. Jennifer, welcome, 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 welcome. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to be here. Honestly, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is one of my favorite shows that I've ever done because I feel like uh, the moment you and Cam started talking to me, we were like best friends immediately. And then we figured out we were all from New Hampshire. And, and I also... I should apologize in advance because you guys always have this amazing banter at the beginning of every show. And I always interrupt it with like, <laughs> let's make it about me. And well, we can Clanahan. We can. We can. We can hey, do I that. have no and... problem with I have no problem with you, but with you you, you interjecting uh, Rue McClanahan anytime you want. I feel like that's the theater performer in me, like the person who like was trained in, and I'm using air quotes, improv, that I'm like, oh, Rue McClanahan, Rue McClanahan was the key word, and then I've got to like burst in and be like, yeah, Pez dispensers, you see? Like, and it's, I'm rusty, I'm rusty with my improv. We're all rusty with our improv in large part because we haven't been out in public in like a year. And yeah. it's like really getting weird and shit. Yeah, uh, my banter is bad. <laughs> it's really everybody's it's banter is bad. I feel like so, a lot of mine is about like how like which bird feeders in my yard are getting the most <laughs> action. Where I'm like, oh, those piglets have really eaten most of the bird feed out of this one. And my husband looks at me and he's like, is this where our conversations are going now? Like, this is exactly where they're going. Kind of sucks. Is don't this it? what we have to say to each other? And I'm like. I had to make hummingbird food twice today. 
It's like, okay, I will get back to my job, you know? <laughs> so, so anyhow, the reason you're my bestest friend is you write the most fascinating horror I have ever read. Oh my gosh, thank you. And, 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 you know, I have been schooled by some of the best horror writers in the business. Uh, many years ago, I had one of the greatest horror writers around slap me in the forehead because I didn't know he was a horror writer. Oh, and no. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was one of those it was one of those moments where I was sitting around and I, and I was talking to Christopher Golden. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, Name and, drop. Yeah. And we were we were we were literally sitting around just talking. And I went, you know, I'm not a huge fan of horror writers. And I was a huge fan of his writing. And he, and he looked at me and he went, Dome, what the hell do you think I write? And I said, you're a great writer. He said, I write horror. Buffy. <laughs> Hello. And I went, oh, shit. Never thought of that. I just I feel like. <laughs> Horror is people when they hear the word, if they don't think they're horror fans, they hear the word horror and they think, you know, Friday the 13th, they think Halloween, they think slashers, they think blood and guts. And I sometimes they don't expand their mind into places like Buffy or places like Bubba Hotep or places like all the way back to like Rebecca and then further back to Jane Eyre. You know, like these are all horror novels at their root because they involve fear or the unknown. Sometimes it can be funny. Sometimes it's about grief. Sometimes like it, horror is a huge genre. And like, that's why I find it so fascinating. And I think it was at that point, And it was maybe 10 years ago at this point. When when he slapped me in the head and I just kind of went, OK, I've got to stop pigeonholing everything and just kind of go, I like what I like and I've got to stop calling it this and that and just kind of call it good writing Yeah. and be freaking done with it and go, here's a really good goddamn book. Yeah. I mean, I would love it if people did that. Cause like I am a horror writer. You are like, indeed. I write horror, but at the same time, there are some people who, only read horror that read my work and they're just like that wasn't horror that was literary or that wasn't horror it was you know gothic or that wasn't horror it was this or and then there's people who read and write literary who read it and say oh you're a literary writer maybe you shouldn't call yourself horror and then there's people who say well couldn't literary horror be a thing? Couldn't grief horror be a thing? Couldn't, couldn't, like a, couldn't good book be a, just couldn't be a, a good book goddamn be a, good book? Yes. And I feel like the people that I'm closest to in my life um, who've read my work, all of my work, but especially the book that we're going to be talking about, Pretty Ugly, I asked all of them, I said, what genre did I just write this book in? And you know, everybody who read it, the people who I know and love that read it before anybody else said, I don't know what genre this is. I know I loved it. 
but I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, it was horror, but it was also literary, but it was also like a little bit romance and it was also a little bit speculative fiction. Yeah. I mean, so when our mutual friend, uh, Mighty Mickey threw mm-hmm. your first book at me, uh, at us actually, and said, uh, wow, you're going to like this. Boy, what's he write? <laughs> and then he threw your second book at me, at us, uh, I mean, it, it didn't even take uh, any prodding at that point. And then you threw. I threw it. <laughs> this, this book at us. And you said, uh, and it, it wasn't even in its final form. When you threw this book at us, you threw pretty ugly at us. And you said, I, I'd like you to beta read this book. Yeah. At, at, at me and Commander Cam. And. And first of all, I was thrilled and honored. Oh. You know, I, I have to say this about both of you. Um, you, you know, you read Beautiful, Frightening and Silent. You read the hotel series. You read From Daylight to Madness and When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk. And, you know, you, you really got it in the way that I was trying to write it. And it, it's, I don't want to say it's rare when you hear somebody that like tells you like, I, I, I get it. Even if they have like other ideas about the endings and things like that. Like I and love did. all of that. And you did. <laughs> and I love that because you were supposed to. Um, but I thought, okay, these two guys who I really respect their opinions, um, they're very well read. They they get me. I'm doing something kind of new. So to me, I was like a little scared to give you like the ugly, gross beta version of Pretty Ugly because I thought they could hate this. And then I will cry and cry and cry and cry. But um, I sent it to you guys. I was a big, brave girl, pulled up my big girl pants and I sent it to you and you didn't hate it. (laughs) Well, here's 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 the deal about Pretty Ugly now. We don't get paid for writing reviews or reading books. Say that right up front. We do, however, every once in a while, get the chance to beta read a book before it gets published in exchange for giving the author a valid review of that book before it goes to publish. Yes. And we did, I did sit down with Jennifer prior to it going to publish and have, I think, uh, about a two hour talk with her about the book. <laughs> we did. I know. It was like, it was an, an amazing afternoon. <laughs> and during that two hour talk, I think we might've talked about the book for maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and here's why. Um, Pretty Ugly is a book that it challenges the reader to tie her tie themselves to a wagon that they don't want to go on. Oh, that's a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah. And I think like, honestly, like from like page two or three, like right after the prologue, it it gets into it. Like there's, 
So for for people who are listening, this is not a spoiler because it literally happens on like page like one of the first chapter. Um, there is a, a a thing that's happening in the world, a virus that affects people's skin and their faces and it affects their their blood system and everything. But it, it usually starts with like a tiny dot that you see on your face. So within like page one of chapter one, you understand that like our main character, Omelia slash Nicole, is infected with something. And within the first 10 pages, you get very clear insight into the fact, if you've never read anything by Jennifer, that you're being, you are, okay, stop for just a second, that you are a witch being put on trial at the Salem witch trials <laughs> and you, your arms are being pulled apart by oxen in two different directions and you are being split in half. You are being pulled in two different directions at the same time and being forced in two different directions at the same time and being told two different stories at the same time, except you're not, except you are, except you're not, <laughs> except you are, except you're not, except you are. And through it all, you're also reliving the past 14 months of this pandemic, except you're not, except you are. Um, <laughs> and if I haven't confused you enough already, good, because that's not even the story. <laughs> not even the story that's just the inciting incident <laughs> so um i finished reading the book and then i sat down with jen <laughs> and i said and she said well what do you think i should do with it and i said the first thing is don't change a goddamn thing <laughs> that were literally the first thing i said and that was so appreciated because by that point I was like, I don't know what I've written. I yeah. know I, I believe in it so much and I believe in these characters so much. I know that there's a lot of people right now who don't want to read a book about a pandemic. And I get that. But but that's okay because it actually okay. wasn't a book about a pandemic. Nope. <laughs> it was a book about two very broken individuals who are but who are collapsing into their own psychosis. Mm -hmm. Sam the Eagle and Nicole Omelia. Oh, I love them so much. It's been like so long since I've like been physically writing them and living in their heads. But they're still, you know, like they're with me every day. And I have friends who were beta readers who are rereading it again now because it just came out. Um, well, I Tuesday. had to do the same thing because I haven't read the book in like two and a half like, months. Yeah. Or and like, I had to read it last week, you know, to get oh. ready for this. And I'm going, oh, God, I've got to go back into that world. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have a really, like, one of my very first beta readers who's still a beta reader. Um, I would say his name, but he'll be upset. I'm going to say it anyways. Bill. Uh, Bill is such a great beta reader, and he's been with me from the beginning. And, like, the other day, he was just like, like why can't I stop thinking about Sam the Eagle? 
like why did he break my heart so much and I'm just like he broke mine he broke mine I wrote him and I was just like no I'm so sad and I love him so much just like as a human not like a book boyfriend kind of love if that makes sense oh I hate Sam I hate Sam. Oh, do you really? The whole I time? I really, I despise him. Oh, he is you're so... the first person I've gotten that says I hate him oh. the whole time. I hate him on a surface value, but... Oh, I hate him for being so weak and oh, so, yeah. oh, God. I get that. I get it. I hate him for being the weaker half of the twin. Yeah. Yeah, well, he definitely was. I mean, I mean, for the people who have not read it, just know that that is a true fact that even the author says he is the weaker half of the twin. You don't need to know what that means. You will. You will. Early it, on. It, it becomes clear within the first 30 pages. Oh, my God. <laughs> the new GFK, my ass. <laughs> well, I pictured this. So as a New Englander, as you both are, you know, the Kennedys are, you know, in, in many ways, New England royalty. Absolutely. I grew I grew yeah. up in a house that had a framed portrait of JFK right next to a framed portrait of Pope John Paul II. Okay. They were I the knew you were going to say that. <laughs> bottom of the stairs. So, um, you know, you just like, so I, I thought of this idea of the Kennedys, which I have like a strange fascination with. I've always adored them for their strengths and their weaknesses. And I thought, what if that family, what if the Kennedys was not as good <laughs> as the Kennedys were? So, and I thought like, what if they were like an Italian kind of maybe loose strings to the mob version of the Kennedys as a, like in the Kennedys, people are like, what loose strings? They had all the strings to the mob. So, I was going to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, Sam the Eagle, his family, um, his father, Santos Alberti, is the vice president of the United States of America in this, in this book. So he's from a, like, a Boston Italian family, a Boston Italian political family that I think all of them are so broken except for Sam's twin sister, who again, not a spoiler, happens really early, has passed away as a child. I think it's a family of really broken people surrounded by one, like, saint figure, which is Shannon. Can I ask a question? Yes. <laughs> Did you ever see the Emily Dickinson series on uh, Apple Plus? I haven't, but I have Apple Plus, and it's one of the things, it's like on our list, but I haven't watched it yet, because I'm afraid I will hate it, and I love Emily Dickinson so, okay. so much. I think I can say, with all due respect to you and Emily, you will not hate it. Okay. I, I will trust you, but on like I've just been scared for like two years. I, we bought Apple TV. We got the subscription for that Dickinson series, and I, I've just been scared to watch it ever since. And the reason I think you will not hate it is because of the quote 
from Dickinson early on in the book <laughs> that you dropped in. Because there is one whole episode of Emily in the carriage with death. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, I, and I just want to take a minute and, and, and read that quote. Please. Because it's beautiful. Um, because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. We slowly drove, he knew no haste. And I had put away my labor and my leisure too for his civility. We passed the school where children strove at recess in the rain. We passed the fields of grazing grain. We passed the setting sun. And this is just, it reminds me of how you write. I mean, it's in, the mood. It's definitely the word mood. pictures. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm a, a, I won't lie and say Emily Dickinson has never been an influence because, of course, she has. As I always identify first as a poet and then later as a novelist and a New England poet and then a New England novelist. And so Emily Dickinson is she's like our fairy godmother of New England poets, <laughs> of female New England poets. I'll start Absolutely. there because there's so many others that come after. But Emily Dickinson, I feel like, was the first one that wrote openly about, I would say, suburban malaise. Yeah. And and which but like bordering that with like legitimate depression female oppression just like real emotion but with a very I, I, I hate to say suburban malaise but like you know books about flowers poems about flowers poems about bees it's not about bees it's not about flowers it's you know about being you know a woman specifically now like a white woman in you know, in Emily Dickinson's time period was a very different experience than a black woman in that time period. Both had their heartaches. Um, so, like, as a New Englander who people will look at me and go like, oh, well, you grew up in New England. Your life had to be perfect and safe and good and kind and everybody was loving because it's New England and it's small and everybody knows each other. But um sometimes it's not that <laughs> and emily dickinson was the f the first person i feel like that i know of i'm sure i'm wrong i could get hate mail for this that's fine emily dickinson was the first person that i knew of and who spoke to me as writing the same kind of work i wanted to write in the 90s early 2000s 2020s you know now And it gave you the ability, it gave you the permission to write in that style of word pictures. 
Yeah. You know, I hate with words, painting with the way she does. I, you know, I have people who ask, like, who is your biggest influences? And I always say, of course, Shirley Jackson. But then I after Shirley Jackson, I always go to poets. And I always say, you know, Emily Dickinson's on the list, but I always say like Anne Sexton, Sylvia Plath, Tennyson. Like I just, I'm enamored with painting with words and then adding that like emotional depth of an Anne Sexton or a Sylvia Plath or an Emily Dickinson where it's you're painting with words, but then all of a sudden that painting has a knife in your kidney and you're just like feeling the pain of it. Because things can be beautiful and awful or quote unquote pretty ugly, which is the book. <laughs> <laughs> and how did it feel for the first time in God knows how long to stand in front of a live audience as you did this week? Oh. Gosh. And talk about your book <laughs> to real people and interact with them at Gibson's bookstore in Concord this week. So um, it felt it felt all the things. So first, I'm just going to have to shout out to Gibson's bookstore in Concord, New Hampshire, which is, you know, my favorite bookstore. It's been an independent bookstore since 1898, I believe. Um, they have not done an in-person event in 16 months. And I was their first in-person event back in their bookstore. So I had this like incredible honor to just like have that and to respect it. And they said, you know, we can only sell 40 tickets. I think they ended up selling 45. Uh, Everybody, it's social distance, it's masked, it's everything. And I said, yep, yep, we're going to do all of that. And the audience did all of that. We sold out um, completely ticket-wise. We sold a ton of books. Um, I will say I was, and I'm a lifelong kind of performer. Like I went to school for theater. I've been a professional dancer my whole life. I teach. I teach dance for single couples, single people. I teach dance for 200 people at a time. Talking in front of people is not something I've ever been scared about doing, but I was petrified this past Tuesday, like hands shaking in the back room, pre-signing my books. Why do you think that was? I mean, I think, I mean, it's twofold or trifold, but I'll, I'll go with twofold. Um, one, most of the times when I've been on stage in front of a lot of people or even teaching dance, I am a version of myself that's not me. So I'm I'm dance Jennifer. Like I can teach dance. I can teach 300 people the foxtrot in five minutes. Um, and I can be hilarious and funny and loud and boisterous. Or I can be me who's sitting like alone in my bedroom writing ghost stories. And And I haven't been public Jennifer like boisterous loud talking in front of people Jennifer in 16 months so it, yeah, but is, I mean you've you've been doing podcasts like this and you have your own podcast and you've yes. been on other podcasts but I mean you know so I mean you've been doing a lot of public speaking and I you've been doing a lot been. of 
I so, have been. Uh, why is the, why was this different? I mean, in a dorky way, it's so much of like, what do I do with my hands now that I'm in public again? Like, how does my body look? Can people see the back of my hair? People haven't seen the back of my hair <laughs> in 16 months. Like, I can do a podcast and do the front of my hair really well or moderately well. But like the back of my head, that's a disaster. And all of a sudden I was just like, it was like being in virtual reality. I'm like, people can see like me, all of me. Um, and also I just think there's like an energy when you're in person that you you can't get on a podcast. Like what we do is amazing. Podcasts have come so far and interviews have come so far. But being able to physically feel the energy of the people in the room, like who are four feet away from you, like you can feel it if they're bored. So I was scared that they would be bored. I was scared that I would see them like staring out the window. Um, and I was, I knew there was a question and answer part. And even though I think I'm good at interviews, moderately good at interviews, I was afraid they would ask me something and I would be stumped and I would just like be up at a podium flailing my arms and thinking about the back of my hair. <laughs> it didn't happen. I think it went well. <laughs> Well, from from uh, all the people who I know who were there, uh, it went phenomenally well. It went. And uh, yeah, you know, I have to say I have um, I have a really good team of just people in my life. But then I have a very good uh, a team of professionals in my life. Mickey Mickelson, who's my publicist and he books me on your show. That's how we met. Um, he's amazing. He's the one who opened the door to Gibson's for me. Uh, my literary agent, who um, is a New England-based author, Paula Munier, she came to it, and she was there, and she was sitting, you know, like in the second row, and she was so, it's just like so amazing to have people like get your back, and and then afterwards say like, you did a good job. you there's a reason why I signed you. <laughs> you didn't make a fool of yourself, even though I was just like, what was I doing? Was I bad? Was I weird? Was I too bad? Was I too weird? You know. Do you expect to be doing a lot more of these in, in, in the coming couple of months? Um, I don't have any in-person events scheduled until October. Oh, let's talk about that one. I know. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I have, I, I will say I have a dance performance scheduled for September at a Goblin King Ball, which is a labyrinth inspired, elaborate costume ball. So, yes. Yeah, so I was going to say, this is, this is something I need to hear more about. Here. Let's talk I about know. that one first. Okay. Um. So um, I, my husband and I have performed and taught dance at a number of Goblin King balls. They always take place at Higgins Castle in Worcester, Massachusetts. And they are pre-COVID and now this is going to be our first post-COVID. They're very, very elaborate costume balls. Um, so you can, if you look up Goblin King ball on Facebook, um, FX O'Neill is the company that puts it on. 
uh, he's a costumer and special effects designer and like he makes masks and things like that. His name is Jeremy. He's amazing. And uh, we have been hired for many years to perform at the Goblin King Ball and teach uh, like a, a, a waltz or something very Goblin Kingy. And we get to dress up and it's going to be great. This might be, I don't know if I'm supposed to even say this. This is the first year my husband is going to officially be the Goblin King. He's going to cool. be Jared. I know. I'm like, oh, I wasn't asked to be Sarah, but I feel like she was 16 and I've definitely aged out of that. Um, but yeah, I think my <laughs> I think my husband might be the Jareth in its September 18th in Worcester, Massachusetts. So that's my first public dance performance, but my next public appearance book-wise is October it's October 2nd right it is October 2nd okay it's October 2nd and it's the is it the I always I always just say like New England Northern Valley and I say all the names and it's like all <laughs> the wrong. Upper Valley Comic Expo yes in Upper West Valley. Lebanon New Hampshire I'm so excited well we're excited to have you there and you have no idea how excited I am because I feel like this combines my love of like books with my very obsessive love of comics and conventions in general. And it will be my first New Hampshire area comic convention at all that I've ever p- appeared at. So, well, that's very cool. And we're very excited to have you there. Uh, um, It should be noted that uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is sponsoring the Upper Valley Comic Expo, one of the sponsors, along with Children's Hospital at Dartmouth. And uh, we are absolutely excited beyond all words to have you be a part of it. And uh, we are very much looking forward to uh, this stupid pandemic breaking enough to have you there. Yeah, you know, um, I'm crossing all of my fingers and toes because I've got a few things booked for this fall. Not only do I have that Goblin King Ball, and I have uh, the Upper Valley Comic Expo, and I also have the New England Crime Bake, which is in November, November 12th, 13th, and 14th. I'm not exhibiting there, but I am a committee member, and I'm running some of the panels and some of the uh, the things that are happening there. So that, that's another fun thing. I don't want any of these things to be canceled. So uh, I'm just going to get up on a small soapbox. Please get your vaccines, people. What is the New England Crime Bake? Oh, <laughs> New England Crime Bake is a crime and thriller based literary convention. This is their 20th year. I have been, I was very recently asked to be on their board or on their board, I shouldn't say on their board, on their committee. So I am in charge of getting agents and editor to the show. Um, so it's a crime convention, crime and thriller. And I'm doing a couple things behind the scenes, um, like their online component where I'm going to be doing interviews for, for people, like exclusive interviews for people who attend New England Crime Bake. I don't know if I'm even allowed to, I don't know if it's been officially announced. I can't say anything. I can't say who our guest of honor is. I can't say anything. Uh, But it is in Boston. It is. I'm going to get the dates wrong because they're not in front of me. I want to say 11th, 12th, and 13th of November. 
at the Hilton in Dedham. Pretty close. Cool. Pretty close. Am I close on the dates? November 12th through the 14th. I just looked it up. There it is. Thank you. I'm like, I don't know the dates. Not in front of me. Yep. So it's, um, that's going to be amazing. And again, we're doing in person if we can. There is also like a backup plan for an online thing. But even if you do the in-person event, you get access to all of our exclusive online stuff that we are currently filming right now and preparing. So if you're brave enough to come in person, you get basically like two conventions at one and just cross our fingers that like Delta doesn't come and destroy us all. You know, this Delta variant is going to be the death of us, or it's not. Or it's Get a not. shot and make sure it isn't. <laughs> I know. It's it's one way or the other. All I know is I have my first comic convention, Upper Valley Comic Con, for you guys. I have a Goblin King Wall. I have a literary convention. And I have, like, a very small vacation booked into the fall. So please, everybody, get your shots, because I want to go to Iceland. Get your shit together and get your shots. Absolutely. And 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 Jen. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming on the show. And and thank you for uh, writing pretty ugly. And and thank you for being the terrific writer that you are. And and don't stop. Okay. Do us that favor. I don't stop I'm... writing. I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. On I am currently 70,000 words into my next work in progress that I am n- not allowed to talk about because I'm under a gag order. But I'm also 10,000 words into a project that I'm not not allowed to talk about. Ooh. Which my I don't know where this project will end up but it might be a revisiting of my dagger island location you know how much we love that one i know i know which is why i'm just like so it's a it's a take on dagger island it part of it takes place on dagger island part of it's legitimately uh, a memoir that so it's a half memoir and half a fictionalized ghost story that takes place on dagger island I do want to point. I do want to point out, Jennifer, you did keep a promise to me. Oh, I will keep any promise I've making. Oh yeah, making, making, terrible. Something like that. I'm a writer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll go with what you said, you know, because seriously, you don't want to trust my English. Um, But you know, because I did spot the uh, Dagger Island reference in Pretty Ugly. I know you did. (laughs) Because that was like the first thing. I feel like because it happens like kind of halfway through and yep. I hadn't heard from you. And then I heard from you and you were like, what? And I'm like, oh, ooh, oh, 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 he saw the Easter egg. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Oh, yeah. And I can't wait to hear some more about Dagger Island. Um, you know, I will just say no matter where my books are published, whether that is independently with a small press, with one of the big four in the future. Everything I write, I want to take place in the same universe. So Dagger Island is a mystical, magical, horrifying, horrifying place. Uh, But I do want it to exist in the real world. So 
I'm currently 70,000 words into a project I'm not allowed to talk about. That's not horror at all, but I won't say that Dagger Island doesn't play a part in it. There might be, there might be some Easter eggs there too. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All the same universe. Hopefully. (laughs) When next we meet, it will hopefully be in person. Well, I hope before then we can do another podcast so that we can be putting on the the plaid jacket making you a member of the five timers club oh i would love that um <laughs> i know like when you were just like when you said i was episode 491 i'm like how are there only nine episodes before 500 who gets to be on 500 and can i make a cameo on 500 i don't know a bunch of people will be making cameos on on episode 500 i'm, I'm not sure how I'm, that's going to um, work yet. Okay. As I'm like just like throwing myself out there like shamelessly, I might add. Shamelessly theater major going just like I'm available <laughs> for show five hundred. You can't see it, but I'm doing like a weird like cheerleader thing with my shoulders. Like I'm available for episode five hundred. I right, think right, you know right. what I'm doing. Right, like Jennifer, you're you're available. You're available. Wink, I'm wink. Available. Nudge, nudge. Don't don't give away like, too much, Jennifer. If, but yes, you're you available. <laughs> I love a good production episode. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> I'll do a song and dance. It's Sounds great like you can't a plan. <laughs> hey, Jen. Hey, Dome. Thank you so much. Truly. Uh, you know, Dome, Cam, you two are two of my favorite people that I've never met in my life, and I'm sure I'm going to meet you really soon. <laughs> and I think, I'm sorry, once you meet me, you're probably going to go, oh, she's kind of crazy, and I'm going to imprint on you like I'm a baby goose. So you're Works. stuck with me forever. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> Thanks for coming by tonight. I know, I know. They're sick of me. They've been sick of me for years. I hope in time, in a very, 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 very long time, they'll be sick of you too, but not real quick because we've got a long time. (laughs) Thank you. Sci Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, 
Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime. Good night, everybody.